0: It takes faith for everything. Your entire whole Christian experience is is based on faith. You can't enter into it. You can't partake of it. You can't enjoy it. you You can't even have a Christian life without faith. Okay? And every activity and every single function that you engage in, from the time you're saved until you leave this earth, and it even penetrates the veil of this existence, every single thing depends on faith. Even worship. Did you know you can't worship without faith? I don't think that's something that we say that much. And people worship in a variety of different ways. Okay. And that's okay. I, I accept that. Uh, I understand that. That's okay. Now, I'll be frank with you. My worship has evolved. And it's still evolving. And yours are too. Yours, yours has too. Now, the subject is still faith today, but it's going to be faith as it uh, relates to worship. Hebrews twelve, New Living Translation. I was reading that uh, this chapter this week, looking to do something a little different with it. But after this morning, uh, I won't talk on worship. Now. Hebrews 12 is, is a, you know, the book of Hebrews is, is about, it's a remarkably beautiful book. It's about Jesus, it's about uh, the Old Testament sacrifices which he fulfilled, his offering, his, his perfect offering, and how it relates to us and how it impacts our life. That's what Hebrews really is about. Now verse 12 starts off like this, I mean chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a large crowd of witnesses to the life of faith... Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily hinders our progress. And let us run with endurance, or faith, the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, on whom our faith depends from start to finish. He was willing to die a shameful death on the cross because of the joy he knew would be his afterward. Now he is seated in the place of highest honor beside God's throne in heaven. Think about all he endured when sinful people did such terrible things to him so that you don't become weary and give up. (laughs) How many times have you just wanted to quit and give up and stop and change directions? How many times have you ever just been totally, completely, and almost forever just fed up with it? 52 times a year, once a week, twice a week, three times a week, sometimes on a daily basis. But one of the things Jesus' his example has been put before us is to keep us from doing that. Look at his life, to be taught from it, to, be, to put, position our hearts to be teachable so Jesus can do what he can do to help us when things get hard and tough for us. So that we don't quit and give up. And you know the thing that kept him from giving up was the joy that was before him. There was set before Jesus the joy of accomplishing what God had set him out to do. And so he's the beginner and the finisher of our faith. And it takes faith to go through what we go through. It's like I told y'all, it was either last week or Friday, I said I don't see a quitter in the crowd because if you would quit, you wouldn't be here or you wouldn't be where you are worshiping or serving the Lord. You wouldn't be where you are in your Christian life. So I'm not talking to any quitters today. I recognize and I know that. Now, one of the things about this life of faith that I wanted to mention, on in verse 12, It transitions after, in the verses just beyond where I quit reading, it transitions and it talks about the chastening of the Lord. Okay? It talks about how He chastens us and how He disciplines us. And it's not that He wants to hurt us. It's it's not that He wants it to become more than we can bear. That God simply uses that process in order that we might arrive at the destination God has assigned us to arrive at. I used to not like to read chapter 12 Hebrews because it talked about disciplining and it talked about this that and the other and I can remember as a little boy in a big old country church out in the middle of nowhere just thinking I I don't like chastisement and I don't like discipline and what I equated it to I equated it to a spanking something corporal in nature because that's what I would receive at home if I was bad didn't do what I was supposed to I get a spanking. And I didn't like that. And so I just chose to absolutely and totally, no more than possible, even think about the process that God had incorporated into my life of faith, and that is to discipline me, to bring me to where he wanted me to be. Do you like that, Do you like that idea? No. But let's read some of these verses. Let's go through it because there's a place down here I'm going to, okay? It says, my child, don't ignore it when the Lord disciplines you, and don't be discouraged when he corrects you. That's verse 5. Okay, I'm a little hit. Come on, you can run yours down. That'll work. No know we on the wall this morning. That's good. Thank you. Okay, next verse. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as His own children. Who ever heard of a child who is never disciplined by his father? And in our case, his mother, his granddad, his grandma, his aunts, and his uncles, and the adults scattered thereabouts in the family and the friends. That's the way it was in the South, you know. How many of you boys, and I, I think I'm going to talk to no girls because y'all probably didn't get a spanking at school, but how many of you boys got a spanking at school or was disciplined and before, what did he say? All the, time. All the time. And before you could get home, guess what? News had circulated throughout the educational community into the person who drove the bus. And somehow or another, when you walked in the door, mama and daddy And everybody else knew you got a spanking and they knew what you got it for and they began to inquire how your day went and you were forced to say why you were disciplined. And then they get you again. Yeah. I couldn't see the love in that. (laughs) Can anybody see the love in that? You know, you get it at school and then you get it when you get home. Now, some of us learned our lesson one trip to the well, and others it took multiple trips. And Jane, I'm not going to say his name because we're being of this, but somebody here raised their hand up. They took more than one trip <laughs> a lot of trips. But in God's training process, when He disciplines us, it's really because He loves us. Because if He left us to our own devices and to go to our own ways, we would never, ever, ever accomplish what He has set us in this world to accomplish. Because it takes discipline for that. Okay? If God doesn't discipline you as He does all of His children, it means that you're illegitimate and you're not really His children at all. Oh boy. Somebody that God doesn't discipline, He just lets them go their own way. They don't belong to Him anyway. Because my daddy um, would not discipline another person's child who lived two miles away, not in our family. Wouldn't do that. Okay, think about that. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the Father of our Father of our spirits and live forever? So discipline is equated to living forever. I mean, my goodness, let, let's get this thing straight here. Discipline's not a bad thing. You may not like it, you may not agree with it, but it's not a bad thing. It's a very positive thing. Okay, let's get that in our heads and our hearts today. For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years doing the best they knew how, but God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. So not only does it help you live together, not only does it identify you with God's family, but it helps us embrace and be partakers of his holiness. It's Not a bad thing, okay? No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful, but afterward there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Okay, there's a peaceable harvest of, of right living. Had a pastor friend of mine one time Uh, Elder George Donauer, he said this, he said, you know, even if you didn't believe in God, and even if you didn't believe in in all this stuff about what's taught in the Bible, he said, even if it were all a lie, he'd still do it because it was good for him. It produced a quality of goodness in his life. But after there be the peaceable harvest. Now, so, take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees, okay? Keep going. Get a grip. Get a grip on yourself. Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but will become strong. Work at living in peace with everyone and work at living a holy life for those who are not holy will not see the Lord, Okay? the uh, disciplining process will allow you to see the Lord. Okay, now when you begin to see the Lord and you begin to understand the Lord, the door is open for worship. Watch what happens here as we kind of go along. This is incredible. Look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of bitterness grows up to trouble you, corrupting many. Now, if we we don't receive um, uh, discipline... And, and, and corrective measures from the Lord as we're going along our path, uh, bitterness will spring up. You could learn to despise the hand of the Lord. You could learn to despise the things that, that you're called on to endure. And not only will it mess you up, it'll corrupt other people too. Did you know that? It will. I don't want to corrupt you. Do you want to corrupt me? I hope not. Make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau who traded his birthright as the firstborn son for a single meal. You know that after when he wanted his father's blessing, he was rejected. It was too late for repentance, even though he begged with bitter tears. Okay, stop right there. Jesus endured what he endured because of the joy that was set before him. Okay, And as Jesus went before those things... You know, he felt the hand of the Lord in his life, but there was a joy set before him that allowed him to to embrace everything that was part of his lot to embrace, and that joy allowed him to complete his task and to be seated by the right hand of the Father. And then the writer talks about the disciplining process in our life. Now, you need to hear something about discipline. The disciplining hand of God is not put in your life and it's not put in my life to cause you the kind of pain that you cannot overcome. It's not designed in your life to to be hurtful and without a point. Like I said, I'm going back to what I said before discipline in your life allows you to achieve the things that god has set in your heart to achieve because if if you don't know how to properly filter all of the stuff out there that you endure or the choices that you make you can as the scripture said a while ago you could you're, if, if you have lame feet in that regard you'll just walk right out of the way you'll not only cause yourself bitterness and hurt to you but it'll cause hurt to other people too so That's why God puts you through the process. And as we grow and mature in that, we grow closer to the Lord because we begin to understand that He'll never leave us or forsake us. Now, I'm going to start right here making the application for today. I'm going to transition with this statement (laughs) <laughs> I had a friend on Facebook. Well, as a matter of fact, there's a, there's a group of people on Facebook that I went to high school with and I played uh, sports with. One of their uh, children, adult children, was involved in a terrible accident here a couple weeks ago and was burned really bad. They're in the Atlanta Burn Center right now receiving treatment. Going to re- start receiving skin grafts on Tuesday to a large portion of their legs, their arms, and their hands. I'm going to try to say this with grace. Someone actually had the audacity to post on one of the family members' timeline that God placed all this on this person. In other words, caused the grease burn and the accident to develop patience in this man's life. He's an adult man. In his mid to late 20s. Went on to say that God had brought this about on them to place them on the, uh, on the bed so that they would learn to accept their lot with patience. I'll tell y'all, I about. <laughs> I just about lost it. You want me to tell you the truth of what happened? I'm glad I don't have a daddy who will cause a vat of hot grease to explode in my face, burning me over a large part of my body just to teach me patience. And I'm, I'm about hyperventilating, <laughs> say this now. If that's so, then everything I read or everything I interpret that I read in Hebrews 12 up to this point has been a lie. Here's rather what I perceive happened. The enemy tried to wipe that man out. Tried to take him away. The enemy caused that fire through some mechanism, and I don't know what it was. But the Lord, our Father, God in heaven, is merciful and compassionate. He did not allow his life to be snuffed out. He's kept him alive, got him in a place to receive help, and God's going to do a lot through the activity that the enemy calls to bring death. God's going to cause a lot to manifest in this young man's life as he goes on down through the process. But the God I serve. My daddy does not inflict pain and cruelty and suffering to such a degree. He will not cause me to get burned like that. The scripture does not teach that. The scripture teaches rather that God is compassionate and full of mercy. And he never leaves us or forsakes us. And his whole purpose is to bring us to the place where we look like Jesus. Jesus. I'm comfortable with that but I'm not comfortable with the other scenario and I'm tired of God taking a rap for every bad thing that happens in this earth sick of it you ought to be sick of it too Are we clear on that? Because that's somewhere else I need to go. I don't need to keep doing this all. I made my point, you see. Maybe it was God's point. I hope it was. Let me take a breath a minute. Thank you, Jesus, that you're not mad with me. Now, having said that, I'll make a few comments about worshiping. This will all make sense, hopefully, in a little while. Facebook's a wonderful thing. Cody and I were talking about uh, technology earlier. It can be abused, uh, yes, but it can be a good thing. For example, I have benefit on Facebook of being able to read what uh, people like Bill Johnson post from out at Bethel where the music came from. And by the way, Bill's not responsible for the music. God is. Okay, so it's not Bill's music. It's God's music that happens to be flowing out of Bethel. Here's Bill's musings for yesterday. Yesterday at 1.38 p.m. I don't want people leading us in worship who don't worship when they don't lead. And he, he develops this thought as we go a little further. At 7.27 p.m. last night, six hours later basically. I don't want people setting the direction in worship who don't receive direction by being taught in God's Word. Seven hours ago in the middle of the night, he posted this. this what was seven hours ago? What time was that? Three o'clock in the morning? He's four hours back, so it was midnight. Midnight. The most trusted leaders follow. Those who set direction best receive direction. The best teachers are teachable. The best worship leaders are the first worshipers when no one is watching. This isn't being harsh or inconsiderate. It is the way of the kingdom. Now, let's pick up reading back here, Monica, where we left off. Now, remember this thing about the joy of Jesus and this thing about chastening is connected with this which follows later. You have not come to a physical mountain, to a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, and whirlwind as the Israelites did at Mount Sinai. Let's go. For they heard an awesome trumpet blast and a voice so terrible that they begged God to stop speaking. They staggered back under God's command. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. Moses himself was so frightened at the sight that he said, I am terrified and trembling. No, (laughs) no, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. Stop right there. So, Jesus came from suffering. And pain and yes, discipline to a place of joy and satisfaction when he accomplished the will of the Father for him and finishing his course in life. And then the writer of Hebrews says, let's take Jesus for our example and receive the things we need to receive so that we might become more Christ-like that it might be profitable to us and others. And then he begins to transition. He said, it ain't like the Old Testament where there was rumbling and thunder and an actual mountain and people scared to death and terrified of the living God and all this kind of stuff. No, he said, you're come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to countless thousands of angels to a joyful gathering. That's what we've come to. Our faith which begins in Jesus is to bring us to this point and to this place. Now, the music we heard earlier came out of Bethel. That music did not just start when Amanda Cook or Jen Johnson or Joanne McFadder or Virginia Sullivan or Carrie Job walks out on stage with a lead guitar a bass, a set of drums, somebody playing an accompanying acoustic board and somebody manipulating the digital musical sounds and beats and rhythms. You know where that music comes from? That music first comes to an individual who has a relationship with God, who begins to hear His voice, and experience His presence, and then there is this, this, uh, <laughs> this transition. There's this, uh, there's this change that goes from experiencing the presence of God and His and His and His words. It transitions, and they begin to hear music and words. They begin, to, they begin to hear words, and they grab their pen and their pencil, or their their iPad, or their iPhone, or something, they're a recorder, and they begin to speak those words out they hear God say. And then they begin to put musical notes and rhythms and beats to that. And then they go to a keyboard somewhere, and they recall that experience, and they recall that, and they take what God gave them, and they begin to fashion this out. It happens that way, or it happens in spontaneous worship where all of a sudden just... Whatever note is being played and whatever is flowing out of heaven, they capture that and they begin to sing it out. And it's caught on, it's caught on uh, digital recordings. And, and they say, when it's over here, wow, God was here. Let's take this music and re-listen to it and, and, uh, and see what God's trying to say, how he wants to expand it or contract it. And they keep, they keep that musical expression with, with all of the stuff they have. They keep, it, they keep it in their mind and in their heart. And they keep it right here before the Lord. Okay. And they cultivate it, and they nurture it, and they work over it. And then what happens is, um, they begin to put the words on the wall for people to, to sing with, and they begin to put the music in the amps and the and the speakers and everything, so that people can get the flow of that. And then, what they had received from God and what they had shared with the worship team begins to flow out into the congregation, to the person who's listening, driving down the road, and all of a sudden, they come to Mount Zion to the city of the living God. They are translated into the heavenly Jerusalem and to the countless thousands of angels in a joyful gathering. And all of a sudden, they're not where they were anymore. They're somewhere else. They're surrounded by God and they're surrounded by His presence and they're surrounded by the words and they're surrounded by the music and they're caught up out of a maybe a miserable mundane backwards rebellious, whatever happened kind of experience they've had. They're caught up to something and all of a sudden the presence and the melody of heaven in this great gathering, it just absolutely and totally wipes the a whole slate clean and those who came in dirty those who came in unprepared those who don't know what's happened all of a sudden there's this flood that fills their soul and everything is washed clean and nothing that has ever transpired in their life matters anymore because all of a sudden something supernatural and wonderful and pleasant and beyond description has happened. And they don't even know there is an earth beneath their feet. They don't understand there's air conditioning in the building. They don't care if there's any light. That's what happens. That's what transpires in your spirit. Why? All because Jesus died on a cross somewhere. And all because he did it joyfully. Spoiling principalities and powers and nailing it to his cross. Shedding his blood, thorns on his head, nails in his hands and feet, somebody sticking a spear in his side between two thieves, the corruptness of the earth. On a day when even heaven shut its doors, you could experience that. You could enjoy worship all of a sudden because somebody had a relationship with an eternal God and father and certain things flowed out and God made sure you're the beneficiary of them. <laughs> then we come in here this morning and this stuff starts and all of a sudden boom there it is and I get to the place I don't care I could care less if there was another person in here or 5,000. I could care less. Because everything that's went wrong in my life since the last time I've been with him is all of a sudden taken care of. Boom, it's gone. (laughs) You see? See, that's, that's why our wonderful creator made this thing called worship. It's so you can come in. Some folks call it a recharge. I don't I don't know what you call it. It's so wonderful. I don't, have, I don't have to have a theology of it. I don't have to understand it. I don't have to have a 10-step process. All I have to do is just receive what God has for me. Because somebody had a relationship with him before I walked in the room or before I put that CD in that car. <laughs> Let's read the rest. <laughs> You have come to the assembly of God's firstborn children. How many of y'all got multiple brothers and sisters in your family? How many of you got a sibling? Give me a brother, or sister. Raise your hand. Let's see. Every single one of us. How many of y'all are the firstborn? I can't say that. We've got one, two, three, four. Four firstborns. So that means every single rest of us either comes second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, so on down the line. Let me tell you how much God loves you. Now the firstborn gets privileged sometimes, you know. They do. They're the sort of the cock of the walk. If you're the big brother, you sort of dictate the terms upon which all the other siblings live. It can be that way. You may get the most food. You may get... Uh, the most, you know, as you grow up, and if you were a guy, and Daddy went hunting, well, guess who went hunting first? You went hunting before anybody else did. I like that. And you girls have a similar experience. To those of you who are firstborn, there are certain privileges fall out to the firstborn, but the rest of us sort of have to take what comes in a lot of cases, except for the baby. And of course, the baby's a privilege, you know. So we're not we're not talking about the babies in the family. We're talking about everybody else. Okay. But did you know in this arrangement that God has so designed to place us in, did you know every single one of us is a firstborn child? You don't have to take second to anybody, not even to the other firstborns, because see, you're the firstborn child in the family whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God Himself. Who is the judge over all things? In other words, if you're able to come to God Himself, you're the firstborn child. He's the judge over everything. That means He's already He's already looked at you and He's 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 determined and He's decreed over you. You're worthy. He's not going to judge you anymore because Jesus took judgment in your place. How about this? You have come to the spirits of the righteous ones in heavens who have now been made perfect. Even if you're not there yet, you still come into that, to the souls of just been made perfect. You're in that group and though you're still here. So see worship is a supernatural activity. We actually are able to come into worship and we leave this earth. We leave the confines of Earthly relationships, earthly problems, earthly ties, earthly connections, earthly chains, earthly... We leave all that stuff and we are actually joined in an activity where it's just things are just beyond your ability to fathom. You're, you're, you're joining the, the, the spirits and the souls of the righteous ones in heaven who have now been made perfect. And if I'm a liar, that's saying so. But this is true and I'm not lying to you. You were put on this earth to do and to be many, many different things. But the greatest thing God has allowed you to be on this earth is a worshiper. (laughs) How to say this without offending anybody? Preaching is good. There's a place for it. Teaching the Bible is good. There's a place for it. Being a prophet and prophesying is good. There's a place for it. Being an evangelist is good. There is a place for it. Doing the work of an apostle is good. There's a place for it. But there is nothing on this earth, in this existence, in this realm, that God wants to see out of you more, that He, there's nothing he wants you to attain to and to enter into any more than this. My God had rather see his people combine in the purpose that was created from out of the the deepest recesses of eternity to worship Him because the good stuff God has comes through worship. God, this is what He wants you to do, and this is who He wants you to be. If if, if we fall short of this, we have fallen short of just about everything that God has has intended for us. And it takes faith for this it takes faith people worship in a variety of different ways you know you can um you can take it and i'm not saying this to be funny mean or cruel but this is the truth you can take a snapshot in most of the denominations of the earth and their churches as they worship and you can pretty much you can pretty much know who the baptists are and who the methodists are and who the pentecostals are and who the charismatics are and that sort of thing you know you could pretty much tell you This is sort of a general thing. You could kind of figure your way around. And different groups of people worship God differently. And I've got to the place where I'm okay with that. It's okay. And ever how you worship, it's okay.